Welcome back, bass players and musicians of the world at large. It is episode 20 of the Better Bass Podcast. My name is Wyatt Walker Ware. I apologize if the audio on the intro clip is a little bit wonky there. I actually recorded that and then realized my mic was not placed in the right spot on my bass cabinet at all and had to go back there and move it before sitting down to actually start talking to you here. But in the spirit of better bass and the spirit of keeping this raw and honest, I'm just going to leave it. And I'm going to balance balance the volume as best I can, and I'm going to leave it in there. Because guess what? I share my mistakes. I have been recently toying with an idea, a practice idea slash performance idea that I've been trying to apply to myself on a psychological level to get through some frustrations that I'm having. This idea I have, I'm calling it the 80% rule, and the basis is that I'm only ever going to perform on stage 80% as well as I can in the practice room. On a gig, I am only ever going to be at 80% of my capability on the bass. I'm not going to get any further. Just based on based on the fact that I spend so much more time in the practice room than I do on a stage these days, and that's been the the fact of life for my entire musical career, right? I've never been on a I've never been on a tour playing seven nights a week. And even when I have been gigging a lot, even when I have been playing five, six shows a week, I'm still spending the same amount of time probably in the practice room to go along with it. So it makes sense, logically, that I would be more comfortable sitting here in my studio at my desk practicing than I would on a stage. And I can create these optimized conditions for myself, right? I can make it sound the way that I want. I can set the EQ however I want. I'm very accustomed to playing this room. I can, there's no front of house engineer to mess with my tone. I can set the amp 10 feet behind me like I prefer to have so that I can really hear the air moving in the room and hear the sound in the bass in the room instead of, you know, standing on a tiny cramped stage and the amp is blowing sound right into the back of my legs and I can't hear myself at all. And a lot of things that can uh, just just subtle things all put together that can detract from the quality of a performance when I'm just not quite accustomed to the conditions that I'm under, right? So that 80% rule is helping me get get through some things. It's helping me not be quite as uh, not be quite as pissed off at myself listening back to recordings of my performances. Not helps me to not be hypercritical. But at the same time, it's given me a new perspective on my, my overarching theme of my practice and my overarching theme of my bass playing journey right now, which is to be as tasteful of a bassist as I possibly can. To be a more tasteful bass player, to think more about playing music on the bass and less about playing the bass. To think more about serving the music and less about serving my own style, my own ego, what it sounds like for, you know, what it sounds like when Wyatt Walker Ware plays bass, putting that to the side and doing the music a service. And what I've realized that what's lacking, what I've been hearing and what I've been feeling as things that I'm doing that are not tasteful is not necessarily that the idea is bad. 
usually I have pretty good musical ideas most of the time, and what lacks is the execution. I'm very, very seldom overplaying in a sense that I'm just really like playing a big bass fill where it shouldn't be and stepping on everybody, stepping on the rest of the band and the music. I definitely do that sometimes, but certainly is not as often as I thought I was doing before. But what happens a lot more often in my performances as I've been going over recordings and going over videos is that I'm overplaying in a sense that I'm just going for stuff that I can't quite execute on the level of consistency that I want to hear. I'm going for something that's not all the way in my ears, not all the way in my fingers, not completely thought out by the time I play the idea, and it results in imprecision, it results in lack of execution to, to various degrees. Sometimes it's a, a farted out note or a dead note where there shouldn't be. Sometimes the last note of a line comes out too loud. Sometimes I rush, sometimes I drag, more often drag than rush these days. But overall, that kind of overplaying causes a lack of execution. And it's been really humbling. It's been really humbling in my practice. I was practicing that groove that you heard in the intro. That's a great uh, a Gergo Borlai drum loop. I'm I'm totally butchering his name, but the great the great fusion drummer Gergo Borlai. That's a drum loop that he recorded and I started out practicing with that loop at that tempo playing all of those ideas that I was playing in the intro. <laughs> and playing them a whole lot more sloppily even than I was just executing it there, right? And I didn't quite realize it at the time until I, you know, until I did the did the normal ego destroyer and went back to the recording and listened back to what I was playing and I went, oh, crap, okay, this is not happening. I have to really, really simplify this. And I did it in steps of simplification. I stopped playing so many notes, I focused on the kick drum more, and what I ended up doing was slowing down the drum loop by like 20 BPM until the ride cymbal sounded kinda, started to sound kinda flabby and weird, and I was just playing. literally only the notes with the kick drum. I'm also playing on this tone setting that I'm not used to. I've been experimenting with, you know, turning the drive knob up on the amp a little bit and playing on both pickups and getting this kind of... This kind of rock tone. I've been messing with that a lot because I want to have that more as a part of my musical vocabulary and I want to be used to that so that when the when the occasion arises to play with a sound like that I'm ready to do it and I'm not sort of confused at getting that auditory feedback of my own sound. But there's a lot of things at play here, there's a lot of factors at play here that I wasn't used to and I didn't respect the fact that it was going to cause these imprecisions. Almost like the performance situation of the 80% rule, right? Failing to respect that, oh, this stage, you're not used to playing on this stage. Okay, I'm not used to playing these ideas at this tempo. 
that 125 BPM, like just a touch north of that steady staying alive 120 is a really, really awkward tempo for me. That's another realization I've come to. And I'm not used to the tone. And I've been having trouble lately playing down on the bottom of the neck of the bass when I'm sitting. I sit, I hold the bass in classical guitar position, so my left hand is almost... uh, My left hand is pretty much at eye level when I'm playing at the bottom of the neck on the first couple frets here. And I've been realizing lately that that's a little bit physically awkward for me. And when I'm sitting down and when I'm playing groove stuff and when I'm just generally spending time at the bottom of the neck in seating seating position, seated position rather, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to get consistency of sound, I'm struggling to get consistency of dynamic control, and I'm struggling to get consistency of time. So with all of these things at play, I really, really had to oversimplify this. Slow it down, go back to just the kick drum, add a couple of notes in between, you know, as as Bootsy would say, add the funk, add a couple of notes in between the kick hits, and really just build it from square one. And what I ended up doing was applying the overload principle, pushing beyond my comfort zone, getting it back from like 105, 110 BPM, where I started slowly working my ideas up in tempo, not necessarily playing the exact same thing over and over. I mean, obviously it's a groove with a looping chord progression. So a lot of the content I'm playing is going to be in the same places, but I'm trying to keep it semi-improvised, right? Just working those ideas up in tempo until I was all the way up at 135 BPM and then brought it back down to 125, pause the recording, listen back to all of it, and heard immediately the night and day difference between playing the same ideas, the same density of ideas, before and after I had kind of deconstructed it, before and after I had humbled myself deconstructed the idea, gotten back to its roots, simplified it, gotten back to the fundamentals, and built it back up. And this was only like a 20-minute process. I didn't spend four hours on this or anything. I just kind of played the groove for a few minutes, pause the recording, listen back, make an adjustment, play the, play the groove for a few minutes, pause the recording, listen back, make an adjustment, push the tempo a little bit, get comfortable, push the tempo a little bit, get comfortable, record it again, at the original tempo, and then it feels pretty good, right? And that brings me to the second main point of this episode, which is feedback loops and how to create those. And feedback loops are the way that you can improvise, the way that you can quote-unquote screw around and still be improving all the time. And it involves recording yourself. It's exactly the process that I was doing today, and I've been doing this more and more and more Pretty much all of my practice of actual music beyond just, you know, facility practice and maintenance, I have been recording everything. And after each segment of my practice routine, I put the bass down, I listen back to what I was doing, and I I refine it. I try to refine it immediately. I get that immediate feedback and get the reality rather than the feel. And it's been serving me really well. And it's especially been serving me really, really well in my improvisation. I've been cleaning things up. 
I have been getting more consistent in my execution. I've been even getting more consistent in my ideas, although I'm not necessarily that concerned about that right now. Everything has been tightening up, and I can feel it. I can feel it because I've been doing this. So this is really just, it's, it's really just a practice method that I can't recommend enough. And what I'm going for here is to reach that sort of Pino Palladino, Carol Kay, Nathan East, Lee Sklar level of just insane consistency in performance. Just every note feeling like it's perfectly placed all the time and everything being executed, every idea being executed at 100% all the time without flubs, without obvious mistakes, without errors that do a disservice to the music, without technical faux pas, and those sorts of things. And I think part of the reason that those players, Marcus Miller is another one, incredible level of consistency in performance, all of these bass players are all session musicians who have been recording for years and recorded hundreds and hundreds of albums and have listened to themselves recorded hundreds, thousands of times and have heard that in, in the in the high-precision, high-definition environment of a big, fancy studio control room where you really can hear every detail of every track on the monitors. So, for me, it's essential to do that as much as possible. It's essential to do that as much as possible to get the idea through my head that I want to be on that level. I've got to simulate that environment for myself. And of course, the, the studio scene that Pino and Nathan East and Marcus and all them came up in doesn't really exist anymore. And I would argue that's even more of a reason to bring that environment into the practice room. That's m even more of a reason to bring that level of attention to detail into the shed because nowadays by my understanding i have not ever cut a a record properly i've done i've done recordings i've been in the studio i have never been asked to be on someone's album or anything like that but by my understanding times in the studio are a lot shorter than they used to be recording sessions are a lot shorter than they once were there's hardly any instance of spending five days in a high-end studio doing dozens and dozens of takes you got one shot. You got one shot to play the part. You maybe got two shots to play the part if you're called to be on one of these sessions, and that's it. And if I do get that opportunity, if that arises for me, then I absolutely do not want to go in there and feel underprepared. I do not want to walk into that place and feel like I'm going to screw it up. And even outside of the studio when I end up in a musical environment that requires very, very consistent execution, you know, simple music, often just pop music or singer-songwriter type stuff that kind of requires perfect execution from top to bottom, otherwise the show is, is compromised, right? I've got to be able to do it. I can't be at 80% consistency or I can't be at 95% consistency and coming back to the 80% rule, that means that I have to be, oh, I've got to do a bunch of math now. That means I have to be 125% consistent in the practice room if I'm going to be 100% consistent on stage. 
that means I have to push myself in the shed to an incredibly high level of precision and an incredibly high level of consistency if I'm going to get there in a performance environment and if I'm going to get there when my only focus is on executing the music. What this doesn't imply, what this kind of, I don't think this is to be conflated with, is not giving myself permission to make mistakes because I can, you know, I can focus parts of my practice routine on more experimentation and allowing some uh, allowing some errors into the playing and trying lots of new ideas and things. But I can also split that and I can focus parts of my practice routine purely on execution and bringing the execution up to 100%. And that's what I've been doing in my maintenance. That's another thing. That's another effect that I've really been feeling in a positive way is focusing my maintenance on the execution aspect and starting things a lot slower than I think I need to when I'm playing. That little dead note that I had at the beginning is no longer acceptable. And if I play that at the beginning of my practice routine and I have that dead note, guess what? That means I'm doing this. And I am taking that through 12 keys until I can't get it wrong. There's, a, there's an adage that, you know, the amateur practices it until he can get it right. The professional practices it until he can't get it wrong. And, well, I think that's a little, uh, you know, it's, it's generalized. I think there's some merit to that. I think there's definitely some, uh, some merit to that idea that being unable to make those kinds of mistakes and being almost physically unable to have those facility errors happen, have those physical misses happen, is a good goal. And I think it's a good goal for myself personally because that's something I've always really struggled with. I've always really struggled with that kind of overplaying that I mentioned earlier of just going for things that I can't quite execute and not quite understanding what my limits are on a level of extreme consistency in performance. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering how to apply any of this, I would say give yourself an evaluation. Just give yourself a mental evaluation right now. If you're like me, if you have that tendency to be a little overly experimental and just go for ideas that you might miss, try to bring that consistency into your practice routine and try to be really, really critical of your precision, of your precision of your rhythm and time, precision of your sound, precision of your dynamic control, all these things. If you haven't ever recorded yourself in the practice room before, if you haven't ever recorded yourself playing along to a song or practicing a groove or even just practicing a scale or something, have a go at that and see how see how that can really shred your ego overnight, right? If you haven't ever done that before, can't recommend it enough. If you haven't ever spent time recording yourself, listening back, making an adjustment, recording yourself again, listening back, and making another adjustment, see how many times you can productively get yourself through that cycle. Experiment with that. That's a really, really good place to start. Create those feedback loops. But maybe you actually have the opposite tendency. Maybe you're of very opposite background to me and you didn't really come up playing lots of improvised music 
and maybe you just play the part in the song all of the time, and that's it. And you very rarely find yourself experimenting in performance. And if that's you, if, if you want to, obviously none of this is necessary, but if you want to experiment, then experiment. Give yourself permission to make mistakes. Give yourself permission to do things that sound bad and isolate that to a certain part of your practice routine. Go into a part of your practice session saying, hey, this is for experimentation. This is for getting new ideas. This is not a performance. Then have another part of your practice session that is about performance, that is about that consistency so that you don't lose that. So I hope this has been helpful. I hope you've got some inspiration on this, some ideas for your own practice and your own performance and some of this this really deep sort of mental stuff, this mindset stuff. This is really, really difficult to talk about because it's all extremely personal, right? There is no one-size-fits-all approach to this. There is no, uh, there is no prescribed, you think about this music this way and you're going to get better at it. You walk into the practice room with this idea in your head, you do this activity before, you get inspiration from this source, and you're going to improve. That doesn't exist. Every bass player is different, every musician is different, every person is different. We all work differently. So... This has just been me floating some of those ideas from a personal perspective, and my best hope is that you guys can adapt this to your own routines, and adapt this to your own practice, and adapt this to your own performances. If you're enjoying the show, if you find yourself inspired by my ramblings on practice and performance, then head over to betterbase.substack.com. That is the home of the podcast. Get on the email list. You'll get every episode delivered straight to your inbox. Every new subscriber, I really appreciate all of y'all that have signed up. Every new subscriber helps me grow this thing and helps me keep this going and helps me keep putting this out into the world for y'all. So, till next time, let's all be better bass players together, and I'll see you in the next episode.